All right, this morning we're going to learn, this afternoon, we'll learn Parshas Yisro as we continue along the story of a major, major Parsha. Of course, this is the Parsha in which we'll, we, we will actually receive, the Jews will receive the Torah. We have the Aseris Hadibro, so they stand at the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, all in this week's Parsha. But we are going to focus, as we have done uh, throughout the last couple of months, on the writings of Rav Hirsch. And we will start from the beginning of the Parsha. The beginning of the Parsha is the story of Moshe's father-in-law, his wife Zipporah's father, Yisro, who was a Midian priest who joins the Jewish people. And uh, he is, of course, famous for suggesting to Moshe, which we're not going to cover this particular episode this morning. Uh, he suggests to Moshe, who is standing judging the people from morning until night and teaching them. And he says to Moshe, it's too much. You can't handle it. You're going to run yourself uh, sick. And Moshe listens to his father-in-law and sets up an entirely new system of judges uh, in order to be able to, uh, to manage. All of that is going to take place. We are going to start from the beginning of the Parsha and uh, with some comments from Rafersh and some others along the way. Let us begin. Here you have in front of you now the uh, Psukim. Let's begin with that. And here we go. Vayishma Yisro Kohen Midian Chosein Moshe the Torah tells us that Yisro heard he was the Kohen of Midian he was the father-in-law of Moshe he heard everything that Hashem did to Moshe and to Bnei Yisrael Ki Hotzi Hashem Es Yisrael Mi Mitzrayim how he had taken them out of Mitzrayim Rashi here a couple of comments number one before we even get to Rashi before we even get to Rashi this parsha of Yisro follows at the very end of what took place at last week's parsha which was the battle with Amalek. Amalek also hears what took place, sees the Jews leaving Egypt and attack. And as we read at the end of last week's parsha, Moshe appoints Yehoshua to fight the battle, and Yehoshua chooses for himself some men. They go out and they fight, and the Torah describes that Moshe ascended onto a nearby hill. Whenever he had his hands up in the air, the Jews would see, would think about Hashem, and they would be victorious. If his hands would fall by his sides, they would lose their concentration, and they would begin to lose. And the Torah describes how Moshe's brother Aharon and his nephew Chur would help him keep his hands up in order that they should be able to win. And this is the first of several recorded incidents instances or incidents, attacks by Amalek, which will eventually leave us with the mitzvah to eradicate the memory of Amalek, which we do and still fulfill every year, uh, right around Purim time coming up, which will read Parsha Zachar. That was the end of last week's Parsha. And then our Parsha begins right after those Psukim with Yisro heard, and he came to join the Jewish people. Rav Hirsch points out that there is a connection there that we literally go, there's a week in between, but in Psukim it goes one right from another of contrast. And we're actually going to see a number of different themes that Rav Hirsch is going to discuss in, in the Psukim that we'll read this morning of different ways of seeing things, different ways of interpreting things. And here's an instance in which the Torah wants to highlight there was a major event that took place on the world world scene. The Jews leave Mitzrayim with great fanfare, with miracles, unbelievable things. And uh, here you have the contrast Amalek sees and just wants to destroy it, just wants to knock it down, just wants to get rid. Whenever you have something like this, a big event in the world, a new nation, so to speak, on the scene, and Amalek just wants to get rid of it. Yisro hears and just wants to learn more about it, just wants to join, just wants to see what is this God? I don't understand what's taking place, but I want to be part of whatever it is. And you see how there can be already from the beginning of the Torah highlights the different reactions when we see things. Sometimes we just want to get rid of that which is a threat to us, a change to the world order, something new. Let's just destroy. 
or Yisro's curiosity, his desire to learn, to know, to want to be a part of that. Rashi very famously asks the question on the phrase, Vayishma Yitro, that Yisro heard. What did he hear? What really drove him to come? And so Rashi comments, he heard about Kriyas Yamsuf, he heard about the splitting of the sea, which we also read about last week, and he heard about Milchamas Amalek, he heard about this war that we just described with Amalek. Many of the commentators like to point out why Rashi, based on the sages, leaves out the entire Exodus itself, which it almost seems to be the more obvious explanation of the Pasuk itself that we just read, that Yisro heard about how they left. Why does he not... Why does Rashi not comment that Yisro heard all the miracles, how they left, the ten plagues? He specifically highlights Yisro came because Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea, and the battle with Amalek. So I just want to show, I'm here in, uh, in New York at my uncle's house, so I was just like, I'm perusing the, uh, the Sfarim, and he has a, a particular Sefer uh, known as the Yisra Bracha, uh, which was a Rebbe from Majitz. Uh, he was the Rebbe in, the, in Europe in the, until 1939. He fled. Uh, he ended up in a number of different countries, even in Japan, before he arrived in Brooklyn in 1940. Um, his, uh, <coughs> his, his name, excuse me, I should give you his name. It was a Rebbe... Uh, Reb Shaul Yedidya Elazar from Majitz. He was uh, one of the earlier uh, Majitz Rebbes. He uh, set up, uh, rebuilt the Majitz of Hasidim in, uh, in Brooklyn, and he eventually, uh, he was a big supporter of Eretz Yisrael. He actually died at a relatively young age. He died uh, in, on November uh, 20. Uh, 17th or 29th of uh, 1947, the day that the UN voted uh, to partition and give uh, November 29th, 1947, to create the, sta- the land of Israel. And he was actually then taken to Israel after his death, and he was buried on Har Hazesim, the Mount of Olives. And he was the last Jew buried on Har Hazesim from 1947 until Jerusalem was uh, won over again in 1967. So for those 20 years, he was actually the final Jew to be buried on Har in any case, my grandfather, Zechron Levracha, was a very big supporter of the Majitz of Hasidim in New York, where he lived in Brooklyn. So I, I happen to have seen the Sefer and uh, share our thoughts. So he asks, why is it that Rashi leaves out the exodus of Egypt? When Rashi says, what did Yisro hear? That he came, that he heard Kriyas Yamsa, the splitting of the sea, the war with Amalek. Why not say the big one? The fact that they left with the ten plagues. So uh, the Yisra Bracha suggests that here is Yisro, a non-Jew, coming to be Megayer, coming to convert, coming to join the Jewish people. And he was ashamed, embarrassed. He wasn't sure, you know, will they take me? Will it fit? And he saw, (coughs) excuse me, when the fact that the Jews left, that was a promise that Hashem had actually made to Avraham. It was passed down to Yitzchak and to Yaakov. The Jews knew Hashem had promised he was going to remember them, he was going to redeem them, he was going to take them out of Mitzrayim. The fact that he was going to split the sea, the fact that he was going to take them, take down their enemies, Amalek, that would attack them when they left, that already was more of Hashem through the Midah of Chesed, through the attribute of kindness, saying, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to guide you through all of this. That first step of taking you out, that was a promise that I had to keep. When Yisrael saw that not only was Hashem just keeping the promise of that which he, he committed to doing, but was now willing to go beyond that and through these acts of kindness of that which was not expected and not required, he said, me too, through the act of kindness, they'll take me in also and will allow me, uh, will allow me to join. In any case, moving forward in the Psukim, Vayikach Yisro, Chosein Moshe, Tzipora, Eishes Moshe, Achar Shiluchaha. Yisro does not come alone. He took together, here the Torah defines him as the Chosein Moshe, the father-in-law of Moshe, 
which we already were told he was the father-in-law of Moshe in the first Pasuk, and we already know that from the story when Moshe gets married, we know that he's Moshe's father-in-law. In any case, here the Torah highlights it again, and who did he take with him? Tzipora Eishes Moshe, the wife of Moshe Tzipora, Achar Shilucha, after she had been sent home. What do you mean after she'd been sent home? Why is, why is she with Yisro, not with her husband Moshe? So Rashi fills us in that when Moshe arrived in Mitzrayim, a year prior to where we are right now, the whole process from the time that Moshe gets back until they actually leave, all the plagues takes a little bit more than a year's time. When he arrives, he's greeted by his brother Aharon. And Aaron, they embraced, they haven't seen each other in many, many years. While Moshe was away in Midian, they hadn't met anyone. Aaron had not met Moshe's wife or children. And so Aaron turns to them and says to Moshe, who are these people? Expecting the answer that, of course, that Moshe gives, which is, this is my wife, Tzipora, and here are my two sons, um, Elazar, Gershon was the older, and Elazar. And Aaron says, what are you doing with them? And Moshe says, what do you mean, what am I doing? I've, Hashem sent me to redeem the Jewish people. So I came with my family back to Mitzrayim and to take everybody out. And Aaron says, don't you understand the level of suffering? Don't you understand the trauma? Don't you understand the, the terrible situation we're in? It, we're trying to get everybody out and you're going to bring more kids in? Yeah, you have to send them home. And so Moshe indeed sends back Tzipora together with the two children back to her father, back to Yisrael. And now the Torah is telling us that they've left. They've been through the Yamsuf. They've been through the war with Amalek. Yisrael has now taken his daughter and their two, his two grandchildren. And he's returned now to Moshe. Refersh points out, why are we told that it's Hossein Moshe, that he's the father-in-law and that she's the wife? We know this information again. So Refersh points out, it's to let us know. And here again, we're going to see this idea a couple of times this afternoon. Whenever you see an incident, an event, we can interpret it in many ways. All we see are the facts of what took place. Something happened. What does it mean? So there, we, we, we often get into trouble because we impose our thoughts or understandings on what it is that we see. So for example, when, um, when Tzipora and the two boys return home, so Yisro can interpret the fact that they're now back in many different ways. Why are they here? So an objective observer could have interpreted it in many ways. Moshe didn't want them. Moshe has rejected them. Moshe has divorced her. Or Moshe is protecting them. All of those are possibilities if you just simply see the fact that they all left and then the, the wife and the two children come home alone. Why are they here? Could be lots of things. So the Torah highlights as the narration that Yisro took the wife of Moshe, Tzipor, and he's the father-in-law, that why did Moshe send them? It was because, as we described, the pressure of his duties in order to give all of his time and attention and to give his life to carrying out the tremendous work that his mission entailed while he's in Mitzrayim getting the Jews out, he had to send his wife and his children back, both for the reason that Rashi quoted of it's simply not safe, and for this, he has a mission to do, which is going to take up all of his energies. See, he sends them back. But it should not, the first rights, but this sending her home should not ever be misunderstood as spoiling their relationship to each other. This was something which needed to be done for his mission to save the Jewish people. And in order that it shouldn't be clear to all that in no way did it diminish their relationship, when the Torah says she's now coming back, it highlights Yisro is his father-in-law, Tzipora is his wife. We know those two facts, Yes. We want to highlight that never was diminished at all. The relationship that this is my father-in-law, you are my wife. At this time, 
I, I, I have to be focused on this mission for the Jewish people, and therefore we are told this extraneous information that we should always keep that or never lose or misinterpret the fact that she was sent back as anything less than I'm protecting you as my wife and you are still my father-in-law but this is something that needs to be done. Who else does Yisro bring? The Torah continues. Her two sons, Asher Shem Ho'echad Gershom. The older one was known as Gershom. Ki Omar, Moshe, now the Torah tells us why he named us, him that. Ger Ha'isi Be'eretz Nachriya. I was a stranger, a foreigner um, in a foreign land. He was, Gershom was born in Midian. The shame, Echad Eliezer, the second one was called Eliezer. His name was Eliezer, Ki Elokeavi Be'ezri. Eliezer, like my God has helped me, that the God of my father has helped me. Vayatzileni Mecherev Paro. So these two sons come together with Tzipporah. They are very young. Rav Hirsch points out there is much discussion exactly. Uh, there's an incident which takes place all the way back in Parsha Shmos, right? When we began reading the story of the Jews in Mitzrayim, that Moshe, of course, is introduced to Hashem at the burning bush, and he goes back to his father-in-law and asks permission to go down to save the Jewish people, and he packs up his stuff, he packs up his wife and the boys, and they, they head down. And the Torah is a very enigmatic short series of sukkim in which on the way back to Mitzrayim, they were in an inn, and Moshe almost died, and Sipora saves him, and with a very strange language in which the sages understand by giving a bris to their son, which Moshe had delayed because it wasn't safe on the journey while they were traveling, but now they had stopped, and she performs a bris and and Moshe's life is spared. A very strange series of psukim, uh, very enigmatic and hard to understand. There's much discussion over which son was that even referring to on the way down to Mitzrayim. So Rav Hirsch takes the approach that it's the second son. Gershom was born while he was in Midian, and that's why he's referred to Ger Haisi. I was a stranger, I was still afraid. The second son is Eliezer, that Hashem has protected me from the, from the sword of Paro. He has already been given the mission by Hashem. He's already headed back. He's already been given assurances by Hashem that he's going to survive. And he's now, and only now, able to name the second son, uh, Eliezer. And that's the son who was first given his brismila on the way down to Mitzrayim. That is a whole story into itself, which we are not going to be focused on. Let us move forward. Vayavo Yisro Chosein Moshe Ovanov Yishtol Moshe. Yisro arrives. He's the father of love Moshe, we're told again. Together with Uvanavu Yishto, together with Moshe's sons and his wife, El Moshe, El Hamidbar, Asher Hu Chone Sham Har HaElokim. Where do they arrive? The Har HaElokim, the mountain of Hashem, where Moshe was at the time. The first points out, how do we define here the two boys? In, in Pasuk Hay, in verse 5, which is what we just read, they're defined as Moshe's children. Vayavo Yisro Chosein Moshe Uvanov, and his sons are, are here with him. In the very next Pasuk, let's take a look together. Vayomer al Moshe. Now this is no longer, Pasuk, the Pasuk we just read, Pasuk Hay, fifth Pasuk in the Perak, describes them, it's, it's Hashem speaking, it's the Torah speaking, it's a narration. Yisro came together with Moshe's children and Moshe's wife, and they arrived to, to Moshe in the wilderness in the, at the Har HaElokim where Moshe was. Pasuk Vav, this next Pasuk we're going to read now, is actually Yisro himself speaking. Vayomer el Moshe. Yisro now says to Moshe, Ani chosencha Yisro boilecha. I, your father-in-law Yisro, have come, ve'ishtucha, together with your wife, u'shnei vaneha ima, and her two sons are with her. How do we define the two boys now? Here in Pasuk Vav, they're no longer defined as Moshe's sons, they're defined as 
Sipora's sons. Why, Refersh asks, the slight nuance of Tosuk, that when the Torah itself narrates and says, and Yisro came, this is the Torah speaking, Yisro came together with Moshe's boys, but when Yisro himself speaks and says to Moshe, I've come, I've arrived together with Sipora, your wife, and her sons, why does he not use that same language of these are your sons, Moshe, but he says these are her sons? And Refersh makes a very insightful comment. And he again says, whenever you see just an action alone, without any understanding of what's going on behind the action, there are many different ways to interpret the action. The action in front of us is simple. Yisro has showed up at the Jewish camp, together with Tzipora and the two boys, which again, they're very young, these two, young, these two boys. How can we interpret that? So one interpretation could have been, if one wanted to look at it in a cynical way, Yisro is done. He's been babysitting his daughter who he finally thought was off of the payroll. She's finally someone else's problem. She's been married off to Moshe. And now they left. They were in the house for a while. And now they went back to Mitzrayim. Good, I'm finished with him. And then all of a sudden they come back. And now he's in charge of them again. And maybe now he sees the first opportunity. Moshe makes it out of Mitzrayim. He's not far from him. Uh, let me drop them off. I'll be done. That's a, a potential way of understanding what it is that Yisra was doing there. He's happy to give them back and uh, move on with his life. So in order that that not be the interpretation, that it should be clear to Moshe himself, when Yisro shows up with his daughter, Moshe's wife, and the two boys, that it should be, I am here to learn. I am here because I am astounded at this story and I want to know about this God who took you out. I've been a priest of Midian and now I want to know more about this. What's this new nation that's come out of slavery through all these miracles? I don't want you for a moment, Moshe, to think that I'm here just to drop off the kids. No, 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 no. These are her children. I'm saying it from the perspective of his first rights. I'm happy to keep them. I would keep them longer and I'll go back with them if I need to. But I have to come. I'm not saying these are your children. Here, take them back. No, no, no. I'm here with the boys. They're her children and I'll keep them with me. I'll keep her with me. But I heard about this and I need to be a part of this. I need to learn. I need to understand. I need to be close to that which is taking place, that which is taking place in front of us. And therefore, his language is such that it should be clear why it is that he is there. Now, that was the word that he sends to Moshe. And it's clear now, Moshe gets the word, and in Pasuk Zayin, Vayetze Moshe. Moshe goes out to greet him. Vayetze Moshe lekras chosno, to greet his father-in-law. Vayishtachu, Vayishaklo, gives him and affords him great honor. He bows down, kisses them, kisses him. Vayishalu ishli reyehu lishalom. Each one uh, offers words of peace and asks about each other's welfare. Vayavohu ha'oyhelo, and he brings him into his tent, that they can sit and converse a little bit. The Torah tells us exactly what it is that they speak about. Moshe then tells over to his father-in-law all that Hashem had done to Paro and to Mitzrayim, on behalf of the Jewish people, all the things that have already, we've already read many things in last week's parasha, many incidents already that have befallen the Jewish people along the way. And from all of them, Hashem, we already, they complained they didn't have mud. And then the mud began to fall. They didn't have water. They found bitter water. And then they didn't have water again. And he has to hit the rock. We had many incidents already in last week's parsha. besides for the splitting of the sea as they left Mitzrayim, besides for the war with Amalek. And so Moshe goes over everything 
both how they were saved literally from Paro's hand, how they were saved, they were able to take it out of Mitzrayim, all of these which were miraculous things the, the sages described. Nobody ever escaped from Egypt in those days. The whole nation got out, the whole nation survived from Mitzrayim, and Moshe recounts the entire thing, all the details he tells over to Yisro. And what's Yisro's response in the very next pasuk? Vayichad Yisro al kol asher asa Hashem Yisrael. Now the word Vayichad is translated here in front of you as he rejoiced, which is Rashi's first interpretation, that the word Vayichad is derived from the word Chedva, like we sing about at a wedding. Ditzach v'chedva. Uh, of, of rejoicing and happiness. And so Yisrael rejoiced al kol hatova on all of the goodness that Hashem had done for the Jewish people, asher hitzilo miyad Mitzrayim, that he saved him from the hands of Mitzrayim. The Gemara, however, after bringing this first interpretation that it means vayicha, that he rejoiced, has a second interpretation. It doesn't just mean that he was happy, but it means that his uh, vayichad also comes from the word uh, like sharp, something like a, a very sharp knife would be described as also chida, uh, that his skin became like filled with scratches or sharp points, like almost like it stood on edge, like his hair stood on edge, and he was, he was dismayed as he's hearing about all these great things that Hashem did for Mitzrayim, but he was saddened and disheartened over the destruction of the Egyptians. That as much as the Jews, at this point, obviously as former slaves, as former, all the destruction that they had gone through, all they saw was the goodness and the salvation. Yisro was the objective observer. The sages say the Torah uses a word, an, uh, an unusual word for joy. It didn't say vayismach or sason, all the common words that we have. <coughs> Torah specifically uses the language of vayichad, which can go in two different ways. It could mean chedva, that he was happy, but it also could mean chid, like it was sharp. His skin was like scratched or standing on the edge with holes, so to speak, like goosebumps almost, and it was out of sadness. It was out of remorse, out of how much destruction befell the Egyptian people. As our first com- comment, Yisrael was a, was a Midianite priest, and therefore, as such, he could not entirely remove himself or free himself from seeing the sadness and the destruction that took place, which is indeed, the Gemara itself says, that when the Jews crossed the sea, when they crossed over, the Gemara says that the Malachim, the Jews we know, sang Shira, they sang song, which we continue to sing every day in Davening, Az Yashir Moshe, Vene Yisrael. The angels in heaven also desired to sing Shira. They also wanted to sing praises of, look at how Hashem has taken and redeemed His people. <coughs> and Hashem stops them and says, you, the Jewish people, I understand why they're singing Shira, because they were, they were the slaves and have now been freed. But you, the Malachim, you're going to sing Shira, my cre- creations are drowning in the sea, and you're going to sing Shira? It's not appropriate. You can't sing Shira. The Gemara itself put, picking up on the same point of, again, from the Jewish perspective, yes, when your enemies, when your tormentors are finally, justice is done, there was song. But Yisro himself can't. Yisro himself is, is moved by the, the level of destruction. The Malachim in, in Shemayim are told by Hashem, how can you just sing with unbridled joy? There's, there, the level of destruction is such that it's inappropriate to sing at this particular time. The Gemara makes a, a very uh, astute comment on the fact that Yisro, who's coming now, as, as is most widely understood, to convert and to join the Jewish people, but is taken by the plight, by the destruction of the Egyptians. The Gemara says, even if a person converts 
for 10 generations after they convert, be very careful then to ever say anything negative about the nation of their origin, because they still, they're part of that. We can see things from our own, everyone sees things from their perspective. So the Jews see things that are done to us, and if justice is finally meted out and, and there's a, a vengeance taken, we can see them. But a person who joins for 10 generations, the Gemara says, will always identify from their place of origin. And therefore, one has to be very sensitive to that. They still see themselves of from where they came. And that lasts for years, not just years of a person's lifetime, their children, their children's children. You see themselves in the place of an origin. And one has to be sensitive to that. And that's derived from the fact that Vayichad Yisrael, again, the simple meaning is he rejoiced, but... The sages saw in that much more than just being able to rejoice, but being very much moved by the tragedy of the Egyptians. What does Yisro then say? Going again with the simple meaning of rejoicing, Vayomer Yisro and Pasuk Yud, Baruch Hashem, Asher Hitzilas Chemiad Mitzrayim, Umiyad Parawi says, Oh, Baruch Hashem, how blessed is Hashem who has saved you from the hands of Mitzrayim, from the hands of Paro, Asher Hitzilas Omitachas Yad Mitzrayim. This phrase, Baruch Hashem, the Gemara notes, is actually the first time that we see this phrase of Baruch Hashem in this entire episode of Exodus. Uh, and the Gemara says, G'nai, hu So this is actually a little bit of a degrading comment. It's a little bit of a shtach to motion to the Jewish people that no one said Baruch Hashem until Yisro came and says, Baruch Hashem, Asher Yisro is the first one to come and say this phrase, Baruch Hashem. All that happened and nobody ever said Baruch Hashem. The Jews didn't say it themselves, not until Yisro comes. I remember hearing years ago, now how could it be? I said, how is it? Nobody said Baruch Hashem until this point. The answer is it's very possible that they did, but nobody said it like Yisro. It's one thing when you win the lottery. It's one thing when you get a raise. It's one thing when your child finds their, their bashert and becomes engaged. It's one thing to say on your own good fortune, Baruch Hashem, what an amazing thing. This is so good. It's one thing we should all do it, but it's also really easy to do that. You know, it's much harder when your friend gets the job you wanted, when your friend gets the raise you wanted, when your friend's child finds their bashert while yours is still looking, to be able to say with true, passionate, unbridled joy, Baruch Hashem, that you got what you want. That's already a different level. Yisro here is coming. So the Jews themselves, that they said, Baruch Hashem, okay, I'm sure they did. But it was because their lives were saved and their torment was ended and they were able to move on. To be able to say that for someone else, when you yourself weren't in the troubles and you yourself weren't part of the salvation, but to be able to say that, that already is another level and nobody had been able to put themselves in someone else's shoes until Yisro came and said the phrase, Baruch Hashem, he continues, now I know, he says, Ki Hashem Elohim. Hashem is greater than all the other gods. Which he, got, he was a priest and he had tried them all out. The very schemes against the people and look at what Hashem did to them. It's the last Pasuk in the first Aliyah. So he took offerings, Ola are completely burnt. Zvachim are offerings that you then eat from. And so Aharon and all the elders came, joining together with Yisro to eat uh, before, before Hashem. Rashi makes two comments on this Pasuk. Number one, who's missing in this Pasuk? 
Moshe's missing. <laughs> what? This is a strange pasuk. The whole thing here is because Yisro is coming to visit his son-in-law Moshe. Yis Moshe is the one who goes out to greet him. He's the one who hugs and kisses him, who brings him into the tent. They tell all the stories together. And then Yisro says, wow, Baruch Hashem, he rejoices. And then he brings an Olo Uzvachim. He brings these offerings. And then who comes to eat with him? And the pasuk says, Vayavo Aharon, Yisrael. Aharon and all the elders came to eat together with Moshe's father-in-law. Well, where's Moshe? So you could say he was already with him, so the Torah doesn't say, but the sages are very troubled. And Rashi quotes, Moshe was not actually eating with him. Moshe was standing over them, serving them. Moshe, heichar, haya. Where was Moshe? He was the Mishares. He was the one who, even at this moment, as his father-in-law comes, and he's the one serving as the waiter, so to speak, making sure that everything is uh, as it should be, that everybody has what they need. And looking after, uh, looking after everyone. One other comment the Gemara makes on the final pasuk, the final phrase of this pasuk, that they ate lifnei ha'elokim, they ate before Hashem. Here we see an idea, um, which is going to be discussed at, at great length, and the Rashi Redi picks up on. It's one thing to bring an ola. Here again, we're, we're starting this new journey of the types of karbanos that are brought, the type of offerings. Generally, they brought an ola, which was completely burnt. You brought an offering to Hashem, it was completely consumed. And Yisro here brings zvachim, zvachim again as something that you eat from, you partake of. And Aharon and the Zekanim came and they partook with Yisro together in this meal. And it became lefnei ha'elokim. It became, so to speak, before Hashem. And this is the idea that you can take something which was spiritual, something like an offering, bring it to Hashem, and then you eat it yourself. You can elevate such an act. You can elevate a steak. You can elevate a piece of meat and eat it in a way that it becomes lefnei elokim. It becomes like a godly thing. Rashi's language is as follows, Mikan, shehanena misuda shetalmidei chachamim But Not only this one instance, but any time a person is able to join a meal in which talmidei chachamim are part of that meal, ki'ilu nehene miziv It's as if you enjoyed the divine presence itself. Sitting in a meal, with the Talmidei Chachamim, in which you can elevate a mundane session of just the eating and satisfying one's physical needs, but in the presence of the Talmidei Chachamim, the presence of an Aharon and the Zeknei Yisrael, as Yisrael comes to bring these offerings, it's as if you're Lefnei Elokim. It's as if you are before Hashem Himself, and that is the level, the striving that we have to take all of our mundane, all of our physical things that we do, but to raise them up to uh, the level of a zevach, in which you can bring a carbon and then eat from the carbon itself. From here on out, the Torah is going to begin the next episode, how Moshe see, Yisro sees Moshe judging the people, and he makes a suggestion, and then that will lead us into the giving of the Torah uh, and the Aseris Adibros later. But we will leave it with this, this first episode, the introduction to Yisro, with some of the thoughts and comments uh, of Rav Hirsch and others. I conclude with one last story I just saw as appropriate for, uh, for Parshas Yisro. Sivan Rav Meir, the uh, well-known Israeli journalist who we, we hosted right before the pandemic began, uh, we quoted her many times. Uh, she posted on Facebook this morning, I saw, a story that was sent to her by the uh, Torah Mitzion Shlichim in uh, Australia. So a group of young Israelis was in Australia. They're there, they're teaching, and they took a little spazir. They went uh, into uh, the southern area of wherever they were, and they were in a blueberry farm uh, picking blueberries. 
And uh, the owner of the field where they were picking the blueberries uh, sees this uh, group that had come to, you know, you, know you, you buy a basket, you pick your blueberries, um, and he asks them who they are, where they're from, and they clearly were not Australian. And they say, we're Israeli, we're here, you know, part of this uh, program, we're teaching in the local schools, and we're here on a little outing, you know, a day off. He said, oh, Israeli, he said, my mother used to be Jewish. So they said, what do you mean your mother used to be Jewish? And so they get the story. This man, was, who was in his 70s now, his mother escaped uh, Nazi Europe as a young girl, uh, made her way somehow to Australia. And when she gets to Australia, basically alone and running for her life, she dropped everything that she had ever had, raised, married and raised her family uh, completely Christian. And this guy, James had never really met another Jew, but he had heard from his mother, who had long since passed away, that she had once been Jewish too, but he had no connection. They asked him if he had ever heard of a bar mitzvah before. Yes, I think I once heard of something. The man has no Jewish education. One of the boys, had their, they, they had their tefillin with them. They had taken, a, you know, on, the, on this trip. They, uh, they put tefillin. He was, he was willing. They explained to him a little bit about the concept of tefillin. The idea, they, they said to him, you're a Jew. You know, the fact that your mother is Jewish, you're Jewish. Gave him a little education. They put tefillin on and they celebrated his bar mitzvah. They had pictures of him uh, singing and dancing with him. They taught him how to make a bracha on his tefillin and how to say Shema. And there in the middle of southern Australia, in the middle of nowhere, in some blueberry farm, uh, they, found, uh, they found this Jew. They found this Jew and were able to, uh, to put tefillin on it. So, uh, Parshish Yisro, so the Gemara says when the Jewish people stood before uh, Harsinai, the Torah uses a singular language. They were uh, vayichan ha'am. They, they encamped at the foot of the mountain, like singular. Rashi famously says, ke'ishachad belevacha, like one heart, one person altogether. And the sages remark that all the souls that were going to be of Jewish souls in the future, they all sort of be gathered there at Harsinai to be present at the giving of the Torah, all of the Jews uh, uh, in the future. And these little stories, you know, the, the soul of the Jew who might be, have literally had no idea that he was Jewish, doesn't know anything about him, but uh, the spark and the soul is there. And every once in a while you find a little uh, incident of in which that soul is discovered and is able to be uh, in some way uh, connected to the Jewish people. What will happen with James Yaakov, I have no idea. But uh, that was a story that she shared uh, just this morning, appropriate for the story of Yisro, the non-Jew who comes to convert and join the Jewish people, the story of the giving of the Torah, of all the Jews standing at the foot of, uh, of Mount Sinai. Pleasure always learning with you on a Wednesday afternoon. I wish you all a wonderful day, and I look forward to seeing everybody in person again sometime soon.